going to ask us now to um, go to the word of the Lord. And um, uh, Brant did me the favor, actually, of reading the passage of Acts chapter 2, where you read about the out downpouring, the outpouring of the Holy Spirit during the day of Pentecost. I hope you remember that. There were two elements there that uh, are important. One was uh, the actual narration of um, the moment when the disciples are together in the upper room praying in unison. Unity is so important. Harmony is so important to the manifestation of the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit comes down. Tongues of fire, like little flames, are on top of the heads of each of the individuals. They start speaking in tongues representative of all the nations that were in Israel and in Jerusalem who had come. All the Jews from the diaspora, from the different parts of the world where the Jews had been spread and living, they had come to, to, um, to uh, Jerusalem to celebrate the Feast of Pentecost. Pentecost is a feast of the Jews before it becomes a feast of the Christians. And because, of course, you know, there's continuity uh, between these two dimensions. And so Jews who lived in other parts of the world would come to Jerusalem. And they spoke just like American Jews speak English. And Jews who live in Latin America speak Spanish and so on. Um, they came. They, 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 some of them might have been born in those nations. And so they were native speakers of those, even though they were Jewish, um, they were native speakers of those nations where they had been spread. And so they come and uh, they start hearing these ignorant, untraveled Jews speaking in their, na- in their tongues of where they come from. And, of course, there's huge symbolism in that as well. And then, uh, they, you know, the crowd, they must have been, by the way, this upper room must have been in a place near where the temple was. And so they hear this ruckus, they hear all this noise, and, and you know, all these people speaking in these tongues and, and speaking excitedly, and at the same time, by the way, those Christians today who get offended when there's a lot of noise and, and, and sound in the church, go back to the, the beginning. When the Holy Spirit manifests Himself, there's, there, there's apt to be more than just a kind of a quiet sitting there piously. In your seat. So they hear all this noise. They, they flow and they hear these people speaking in all these different tongues, their tongues from their nations that they come from, and they're astounded. And so they accuse them. And, and since these people are acting, by the way, another thing, they're acting like they're drunk. Maybe they were actually, you know, reeling around and, you know, intoxicated with the Holy Spirit. There's a wine of the Holy Spirit that intoxicates. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine, but rather be drunk with the Holy Spirit. And so these people are acting very strangely. They're acting like they're drunk. And they are accused of being drunk. And uh, Peter gets up and addresses the crowd and takes the opportunity to preach the first sermon that was ever preached under the new um, rule of the Holy Spirit in the church and in the world. And Peter clarifies, no, we're not drunk. It's only 9 a.m. in the morning. I mean, there are some people who drink at 9 a.m. in the morning, by the way, but not generally. So Peter says, hey, it's only 9 a.m. in the morning. We can't be drunk. This is the Holy Spirit that God promised. And he makes a reference to Joel, of course, because, you know, these, these passages are intertwined in amazing sorts of ways. And I hope that you'll see this interaction. So Peter says, no, this is what the prophet Joel, a Jewish prophet, a prophet of Israel, because Christianity is a, ultimately, it is a Jewish religion, by the way. We are, we are Jews who believe in Jesus as our Messiah, actually. We're spiritual Jews. Actually, in a way, forgive me uh, if any Jewish person is listening to, me, listening to me. We are the real Jews in the sense that we believe in our Messiah. And any Jew who wants to believe in the Messiah will then be a really complete Jew. Okay, we don't, we don't pretend to replace the Jews. They have their own dignity, of course. But, um, you know, until the Jews believe in the, Jesus as their Messiah, they will be half completed. Long story there. Anyway, 
So Peter clarifies that. And I want you to bear that scripture in mind for a moment. So these two things, this reference to Joel, an ancient prophet, and saying, no, what you are seeing now is the fulfillment of that ancient prophecy that was uttered hundreds of years ago. And this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, these two things are very important. And uh, I, will, I will go from there. There's another passage which I want to connect briefly about the rebuilding of the temple. I want you to go to Ezra, uh, briefly, chapter 3, verse um, 10 and on. Because I want to connect. This is one of the most complicated sermons I have ever preached, by the way. It is so complicated that I myself, I'm not sure what I'll be preaching. I won't understand it completely yet. But if you bear with me, I think this sermon has a prophetic value that goes beyond just the, the people who are here, those of you who are watching. I want to declare it in a sort of prophetic way uh, for, the, for the objective value that it may have beyond this moment. And so, in the book of Ezra, it's one of those little books after Second Chronicles. Um, in verse 10, we are brought into another historical moment in the life of Israel where the Jews are beginning to return after the Babylonian exile to Jerusalem. And when the Babylonians invaded Jerusalem hundreds of years before Christ, they destroyed the temple. The Jews were dispersed, and they spent 70 years in captivity in other lands before they were allowed to come back to Jerusalem. When they come back to Jerusalem, little, little groups like you, by the way, not all the Jews came back. After the dispersion, only a small group came back. It was, a, it was not the Jerusalem that they knew before the um, exile. When they come back, it's just a small remnant of Jews who come back to a destroyed city. And uh, after a while, they start rebuilding the temple. It took a long time. You know, some Jews came back, and then it took a while to rebuild that destroyed a temple. They knew where it was because the foundations were there, but that's all that was left. It had been destroyed. So they start rebuilding the temple because God had asked them. They needed to do that. How, how would they worship the Lord? They couldn't just, they, you see, this is the thing that, you know, they could have said, well, you know, this is a new time. Let's not worry about the rebuilding of the temple. And, you know, the Lord is everywhere and we can worship the Lord anywhere. You know, He's here. Let's, let's worship Him right inside the foundations. No, they wanted to rebuild the temple. They wanted to rebuild the physical altar where the sacrifices were made. They knew that it was important to have a physical manifestation of the temple and to have people worshiping the Lord in that temple. And the Lord himself said to them, build my house. This is why you're not being prospered more, because you're not paying attention to my house. And so they start rebuilding the temple. And here's the story. It says, when the builders, 310... When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests in their vestments and with trumpets and the Levites with cymbals took their places to praise the Lord as prescribed by David, king of Israel. With praise and thanksgiving, they sang to the Lord, He is good. His love toward Israel endures forever. And all the people gave a great shout of praise to the Lord because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. And here's an interesting scene. It says, But many of the older priests and Levites and family heads who had seen the former temple in its grandiosity, in all its beauty, in all its size and magnificence, they remembered that older temple. And now looking at this poor rendition, what is left as they're just building this humble altar this makeshift temple that should have been as grandiose as it was 70 years before. Watching this, they wept aloud when they saw the foundation of this temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. This is an interesting scene here. You have the younger Jews who don't really remember. The, 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 they had no opportunity to have worshipped and witnessed the beauty of the former temple. So to them, you know, there's nothing, okay, you know, yeah, it's, it's a temple, great, praise the Lord. They're happy. But the older people 
who knew of the greatness of the original temple and were comparing it to this remnant, this makeshift temple, they wept because they compared one thing with the other. And uh, an interesting scene ensues which says you have people weeping aloud when they see the foundation of the temple being laid, while many others shouted for joy. And it says in verse 13, no one could distinguish, no one could distinguish the sound of the, I'm reading from the NIV, I think this is KJV, and that's fine. No one could distinguish the sound of the shouts of joy from the sound of weeping because the people made so much noise and the sound was heard far away. You know, this, this passage, it, it stuck in my brain uh, this morning as I was doing this uh, reflection because, um, you know, there, there's, uh, there is this, this return which is so much, so much humbler than the original. And so here we are this morning. Those of us who have seen this temple 8, 10, 10, 12 weeks ago, when it is full of chairs, and look at us this morning. It is a poor rendition, physically speaking, of the original. We have four chairs here, two chairs there. You know, this vast space, relatively vast, is somewhat empty this morning. We're wearing masks. I am, I am grieved by seeing us this way. But I'm also joyful. I also celebrate the fact that we are here. But this mixture of emotions, amen, if you want to clap, do that. Do feel that way. That's all right. But there's a mixture of emotions. And I'm going someplace here. I'm going somewhere. Okay? We have been away for a while, just like the Jews were away for a while. We are now returning, and we are returning to a reduced reality. A much impoverished version of what we should be. And by the way, there's another element. That's why I say this is a complicated sermon. Because uh, the Jews were living that reality of an impoverished return and a temple. Because of uh, their own disobedience. Now, those younger people who were there, they, they, were, they, they couldn't have been alive because it's 70 years afterwards. But they're suffering the consequences of the sins of their fathers. I believe that the church of Jesus Christ in our time is part of... Right now, we are humiliated. The church of Jesus Christ is not relevant in our time. We are also living a reduced reality. We had to practically force the governor's hand, which, whom I respect... And I have the highest affection for him. I think he's a good man. But um, we, had to, we had to exercise a little bit of pressure so that the church would be considered an essential institution, an essential service. A lot of other places were considered essential. Marijuana shops, abortion clinics. Uh, but the church was not deemed essential. And so we were closed for a good while. And reluctantly, they have allowed us to return. Just as the king, Cyrus, and other kings allowed the Jews to return. We have this civil authority that controls how we worship and when we worship and when we can open our doors. And I respect the civil authorities, but that's not the way it should be. And neither should the church find itself in a situation where we are so reduced and so impoverished we don't have the power let us say that we do not have even the spiritual power to face this virus the way that it should be faced that's why i have such a difficult time struggling in my spirit with all this stuff because you know that there's the, 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 it should be different and that's why we need to ask the holy spirit father free us from captivity, free us from the limitations that we are facing. Uh, 
this is part of the sin of the church itself. The church, we need to ask the Lord to purify, cleanse us so that we might be fit for His Spirit to be poured upon us in the way that it needs to be poured. There was a time when the church could allow itself a certain level of um, freedom in how we consider God's holiness. But as things get more serious, the demands get more serious. As our expectations grow of a visitation of the Holy Spirit in unprecedented ways, we also need to sanctify ourselves in unprecedented ways. We have entered into adulthood. Humanity has entered into adulthood now in our time with this COVID thing. I believe that it is, it is a new way of God dealing with humanity. And the stakes have grown higher and more potentially costly. If humanity does not repent after these very gentle touchings of God upon it, because this is a gentle touch, you have not seen the wrath of God, how it can manifest itself. This is a warning. COVID-19 is a warning. It is a little slap on the hand. Many more serious things. God has a lot more serious things in his bag of tricks. And so we are asking, Lord, have mercy, sanctify us, prepare us, because we want, we want the real thing. You know, we want the golden ticket. You know, in, in uh, America's Got Talent, I don't know if they have it in America, but I know in England has talent or something so like that. You know, when you perform really well, and you got, the real award is a golden ticket. You don't have to keep competing with others. You go straight to the finals. Or the semifinals, I'm not sure, but you know, one of those. You're, you're, skip, you're skipped over the line. Well, I've told the Lord, I've, I've always been holding out for the golden ticket. I, am, I tell you, I'm not interested in these partial manifestations of the Holy Spirit that we have seen until now. I may be arrogant, and I've asked the Lord, Father, free me from presumption. But I, I am not interested. Forgive me, Lord, if I, 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 I am saying something that doesn't please you. I, it's just that I believe so much in the power of the Lord that I am not content with, uh, you know, potato chips. I want the, the real French fry cut and peeled at home and, and fried right in front of me. I want the real thing. I'm not content. And, and it's, again, it's not because I'm presumptuous. It's because I honor the Lord so much. And I believe so much in the paradigms that His Word establishes. I'm not content with little Simulacros, little pretending to play house while the real manifestation of the Holy Spirit is withheld from us. So I'm holding on, but it requires an extraordinary sense of complete yielding, cleansing, and consecration. I, I say that with fear and trembling because I know what I'm saying. But this is, the, this is the time for that to happen. This is the time for that to happen. So let me go on. I'm not even finished. I'm not even started yet. So forgive me, because as I say, this is a, this is a, it's a, it's a complicated uh, sermon. I, I, sp I spent the whole week saying, Lord, help me to do justice to the significance of, of um, reopening a church on Pentecost Day and what, you, what we feel you want to do. And the Lord, you know, nothing came. Nothing came. I could have reheated the sermon. I have probably dozens of sermons I preach over the years about Pentecost I could have reheated something and come here and preach some generic stuff. I could have even done a regular sermon, and the, but the Lord, you know, would not let me. And yesterday, I struggled the whole day. Lord, speak to me, speak to me. And it, nothing came until around 9 p.m. And by that time, I generally, I'm trying to go to bed because I'll get up at 5 in the morning on Sunday. And I wanted to be a good boy and do my sermon before I went to bed, but it just didn't happen. But then at 9 a.m., you know, things started kind of congealing. And then when I woke up this morning at 4 a.m., because I didn't have anything prepared, um, you know, things started coming in a cascade. And uh, I believe I'm preaching a very, either a foolish or a very prophetic sermon, one of the two. There's no in-between. So uh, I'm, I'm laying the groundwork here. There is a symbolism between this rebuilding of the temple and returning to a, a poor version of the original 
and what God has in store for the future and the visitation of his Holy Spirit. All these things I want to kind of, hopefully when you get out of here, you'll have a, a sense of why I'm saying this. Because now I, I want to give you another assignment, which is that you will go home this week. And those who are watching as, as well. And um, you will study the books of uh, Ezra, Nehemiah, Zechariah. And if you can't remember them, go back to the sermon and listen to it again because you'll, you'll have that stuff there. If you, if you take seriously what I'm saying, you won't mind doing that. But I want you to read some of these books and, and, then, and also explore the meaning of Pentecost. Because Pentecost is not just when the Holy Spirit comes down. Pentecost is related to the fruits, the, the, the celebration of the, of the first fruits and the Feast of Weeks. And it's also related to the Passover and, and Easter, and there's a connection between all these different things to the day today. So you want to learn about these things. Look it up in Wikipedia. Look up what is Pentecost. Look up what is the Feast of Weeks. Um, look up a relationship between Easter and uh, Passover, or Easter and Pentecost. You know that this, is, this day, today is 50 days, 7 weeks and 1 day after Easter Sunday. That's 50 days. Pente, like Pentateuch, or pentagram, is, means five. So Pentecost is 50 days. The Jews had a celebration after the, the, the week of um, first fruits. They then had a, a celebration 50 days later of the harvest. And also, of, it was the, the day where supposedly the law was delivered to the Jews as well. So Pentecost is 50 days after Easter Sunday, after the resurrection. Isn't it interesting that it is the, the, also, you know, the, the, the day of first fruits where the church emerges. It was the beginning of the church. It was the, the, the emergence of the church. It was the first manifestations of, of the Holy Spirit, of this harvest that would be 2,000 years in the making of billions of souls being saved under Jesus Christ. So there's a huge amount of symbolism here. And the fact that all of these nations are present to watch this and to hear this, their witnesses, first fruits, deposits from all the nations that would then later on receive Christianity. And, and all of this is, the Holy Spirit is brooding symbolically because God is a God of uh, extraordinary intentionality. He is, he, is, um, he is enjoying what He has cooked up. And he's, as a great artist, he's into the details. Everything has meaning. Every word, every symbol, every figure, sequence, a symbol, silence, a symbol. Everything has meaning and intentionality. And so, as we reopen our temple today in this humble way, it reminds me of the reconstruction of that Jewish temple in the book of Ezra and Zechariah after its destruction by the Babylonians. In this case, it's been COVID-19. There has been devastation and so on. Um, but we come back like those Jews to a smaller temple in a sense, to an impoverished expression. We are smaller, a poorer version of how things were back in March when we closed down our church after that March 15 service, which I, re I remember very well. I will never forget it, March 15. Some of you may have been here. You may not remember it. But... Um, that it's really 12, 12 weeks ago. And do you remember how we closed that service? I remember well. I remember two things in that service. Actually, and the night before, it was a Saturday night. Is that, um, is that Odelisa? Is Odelisa here? Yeah, I think I saw her. And these days, you never know who's who. But I, I think I saw Odelisa here at one point. Yeah. I, you know, we went to, uh, we went to the, um, the, uh, the banquet of Lazos de Amor that night. And, you know, there was a spirit of uh, sadness because we knew that a storm was coming. And the attendance was greatly reduced that night. And, you know, Odelisa, I, I wish you were listening to this because I take my hat off to you. That you dared to have that banquet that Saturday night. You gave one of those expressions of your faith and your warlike spirit there. And, uh, you know, it was reduced attendance. And I'm sure a lot of people must have thought that we were being irresponsible to have that service 
that night there. Because already the, the cloud of COVID was hovering over a reality. Yes, you can hear the other part that you didn't hear uh, earlier. But, you know, there was a sense of imminence, an ominous feeling in the air. And we were there, but with a certain amount, you know, we we're in a hurry to get out of there. And then we came here to church on Sunday, and, uh, you know, the church is about half full, maybe. There was actually a couple of hundred people, because people accused me of admitting that there was more than, than 200, something like that. I think there was something about 200 at that time. Anyway, as always, I, I made the mistake of announcing publicly, we have a, just a tiny little bit more than 200. And I was, uh, you know, castigated because of that. But, um, you know, uh, we were almost um, having an illicit meeting. And I know some of you may have felt that, you know, maybe we shouldn't, we shouldn't be here. And we left in a hurry again. Why am I emphasizing this thing of being in a hurry? Because, again, do you see how um, there's a connection between living in a hurry and living uh, as a storm is breaking out and something is happening that is big and how the Jews left Egypt right at that moment when that last plague of the, of the uh, primogenitos, the, the, the firstborns of Egypt, all these plagues... And the Jews had to leave in a hurry. They didn't have time to cook bread uh, with the way that it's done, bake it uh, with the leaven. That's why the Jews eat unleavened bread during Passover. They, they had to just walk out with the clothes on their back. God didn't give them too much. They, they, they left in a hurry. And there's a connection hovering in my spirit. And by the way, as I said earlier, I, am either, I will be either making a fool of myself or I will be preaching the most prophetic sermon that I have ever preached. And it's, it's just one of the two. There's a connection in my spirit between our three events. Three events. And by the way, I do not regret having celebrated that Sunday service. I think when a lion walks away from its attackers, he doesn't just turn around, turn tail and run. He will retreat with reluctance. And I believe that uh, when we, when the church closes down its doors, it should do it with reluctance. It should not do it too quickly. It should express a certain level of courage and of dignity. An army does not retreat haphazardly. It retreats in order. And the church of Jesus Christ has a dignity that it must uh, assign to itself, even as it retreats. Even as it takes care of itself. Even as it respects authority. Because the church is not a normal institution. And because we subscribe to values and principles that are not human or temporal. And we should behave in a certain way. And so I'm glad that we, we left. We didn't leave immediately. We left because we had to. And reluctantly. And there's a connection in my spirit between three events. And please bear with me. Number one, today. Today is Pentecost Sunday. As I said before, we celebrate the outpouring of the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost more than 2,000 years ago. So there's one connection. One. And I, I invite you to explore these things. Because what came was a cascade of associations this morning to me. So one connection, Pentecost Sunday. Number two, we are also celebrating the reopening of our church here in Massachusetts and of churches all over the United States. We chose it today. We have to open today, the 31st, Pentecost Sunday. There was a meaning. I mean, there's a lot of prophetic spirits who see meaning in this 31st Pentecost Sunday, what God is going to bring forth in humanity and the reopening of our churches. The feeling that churches should not have been closed on Pentecost Sunday. And so there's a second connection. So number one, we have this, um, this uh, reopening of our church, uh, the Pentecost Sunday, the reopening of our church under humble, reduced circumstances, just as the return of the Jews. And number three, you know, this connection with the rebuilding of the final temple in Jerusalem that has not been built yet, the third temple. 
Do you see that afterwards, in the first century, that temple that these people had built, had rebuilt, when they returned, it was destroyed again in, in uh, 70 AD, I think it was. And there's no temple. What, what we have now is the, the western wall that was the original retaining wall of the temple when Jesus walked. And on top of it, in a, in a kind of demonic way, forgive me, but it is the truth, there has been installed a tumor, a symbolic presence, which is not the temple, to sort of make it impossible almost to rebuild the temple. Because if the Jews rebuild their temple there, where it, where it has been for thousands of years, where it had been, it would be apparently all-out war in the Middle East. Because that place is the third most sacred place in all of uh, Islam. So somehow the enemy has ensured that that space, you know, he's put a lock on it. And he said, if you, ever, if you ever think of rebuilding this temple, it's going to cost you. So don't even consider it. See, because the enemy is a strategic thinker. And so he has put something there. There are two mosques there in Jerusalem right now where the temple should be. Al-Aqsa Mosque and the Mosque of the Golden Dome. These two are very, very sacred places. And, the, and the, even now with Israel being, with Jerusalem being a part of the of Israel, the Jews cannot go there and worship. They're prohibited from going up there. So even in the midst of their city, they cannot worship God where this sacred place, that, that is the pain that the Jews feel. This is why you have these Jews going and, and lamenting in front of the, of the wall, the western wall. They lament what is up there and what is not up there. And what, what has happened over 2,000 years of destruction, persecution, anti-Semitism. And, and so, you know, these are all these connections. So, Pentecost Sunday, the reopening of the church in our time, in our church, and the, this rebuilding of the final temple. There's a connection, spiritual connection between these three things. And here's, I'm going to go out on a limb here. But this morning, an impression has, has settled in my spirit. That a new epoch is beginning in which the Lord has declared, listen to this, it's not what you think I'm going to say, in which the Lord has declared that the, and I'm very intentional in my words, it's almost like a legal statement. The Lord has declared that the process leading to the rebuilding of the temple has begun. Now we have... You know, we've heard intimations that the temple, you know, we have visited, when we go to Israel, we visit the Temple Institute where the, the Jews have uh, all the vestments of the priests. They have, they have the, the instruments of, the, of music. They have the altar of incense and the showbread. They have everything. They even have the architectural designs for the new temple. It's all ready. It's all ready. We have heard about that. But there has never been any kind of, uh, you know, uh, that we know of, uh, intimation that somehow this temple is. But I really believe that there's a connection between this moment that we are living and uh, the rebuilding. I believe that somehow in the heavenlies, a, a directive has been released that the process be initiated. I don't know how long it's going to take to get to that temple. Because God's process is, a, you know, I, I don't see at that level of clarity. And that's one of the big problems that, you know, we prophetic people have. We can see certain things, but we're like people who see dark and, sh and light shadows. We're legally blind. We can move around, but we can't see clearly and precisely. But I do believe that what we are living right now, that this moment, and that's why I'm afraid not to say it in case that it does have some prophetic value. I believe that this connection of return to impoverished circumstances after captivity the Passover, all those different things, first fruits, Pentecost. There's a constellation of uh, feeling and, and intentionality in the spirit realm that has to do, again, among other things, with that process. So I, I believe that this is the beginning 
in which the Lord is declaring that the process leading to the eventual and sooner rather than later rebuilding of the temple has begun. Just as we are reopening our church and other churches are reopening after a period of closing in a manner similar to what the Jews experienced when they re began to rebuild their temple after their captivity, the Lord, thank you, see, they, they, somebody, thank you, amen, I received that. I believe that the Lord will initiate the process leading to the rebuilding and the reopening of His temple in Jerusalem. Now, you don't have to say amen unless you feel it. That's okay. I don't expect it. I'm, I'm saying it just for pure legal uh, validation. I have no idea of specific dates, as I have said, or how long the, this initial process will take. But I will risk saying that this process is now beginning and that this process will accelerate from now on. If there was a generic intentionality of the Spirit for the temple to be rebuilt, I believe that we are entering into a time of acceleration of that event to take place. And I also believe that there is a connection between the original Passover, when the Jews leave in a hurry after a plague, after many plagues, the closing down of many churches under the threat of pandemic, and they're leaving in a hurry like we did, and the time that has transpired since that day on March 15 when we all left in that hurry from here and where we are now in Pentecost Sunday. So then I, I am seeing that leaving in a hurry our churches and Lion of Judah, for example, I speak of our church, with the pandemic beginning to make itself felt in the United States is a spiritual equivalent of the Passover when the Israelites also left in a hurry after a pandemic to begin their journey out of Egypt. And here's another connection. We know that Jesus celebrated the last Passover just a couple of days before his crucifixion and resurrection, just Easter, Easter week. He might have, it might have been on a Thursday or a Wednesday because he was, he was arrested on, on, and crucified on, on a Friday, on Friday, that Friday, just after he celebrated Passover. Which, by the way, what, you know, La Santa Cena, this, this Lord's Supper that we celebrate is... The Passover that Jesus celebrated with his disciples. It was a Passover dinner, Seder. And then three days later, he would be resurrected on Easter Sunday. And then 50 days later, Pentecost, 50 days later, is the, the downpour, first fruits of the Holy Spirit. And then the initiation of a new era of harvest, spiritual harvest in the world. Now, if you don't know too much, as I've said, about the connections between the Jewish calendar and the day of Pentecost, then much of what I'm saying will not make sense to you. I generally don't speak about these things. I don't, I don't, I'm not a heavy preacher on, you know, uh, Jewish symbolism and all this stuff. I believe in it. And why do you think we call this place Congregation Lion of Judah? Because I've always felt in my spirit that... Uh, that's a name. We, our, our church has an intimate connection with Israel, which has only recently become accelerate, accelerated as we have begun to travel to Israel yearly. And by the way, if you want to come next year in February, I, I ask you an invitation right now, okay? But uh, things have accelerated in that sense as well because God is a God of intentionality. You see, I... Uh, I live half of the time in this prophetic days. And I don't often know when God is going to activate something, but I do know the sequence. I don't know the exact chronology, but I do know sequences. And this church, in calling itself congregation, why did we call ourselves congregation and not church? We could have called this church, Lion of Judah, church. We call it congregation. We say congregation, Lion of Judah, because Jewish churches and, and the synagogues call themselves often congregations and congregation is the word of the old testament so i the holy spirit i the holy spirit encoded in the name of this church this intimate connection with israel congregation lion of judah and so i i believe that there's a there's a there, there's a, a all this stuff is flowing together so um, even though I don't preach about this often, I, I, my spirit is continually brooding about these things. 
there's a source of agony there that I can't, I can't exaggerate to you. So I urge you during the next few days as a congregation to study these matters. Read the book of Joel. Read the book of Zechariah, of Ezra, and Nehemiah. Read about the events leading to the rebuilding of the temple after its destruction by the Babylonians. Read about the original events of the Passover in the book of Exodus. And clarify in your own mind the connection between the Passover, Easter, and the day of Pentecost. And then try to translate it to our time. Now, I've said a lot there, but if you think it's important, then go to the sermon. It will come out what, Wednesday, maybe, Brent? By Wednesday, we should have it recorded. Okay. So if you care enough about these things and you feel that this is not a fool, making a fool of himself publicly, then take time to go back and, 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 and read these things and study them. Because this is, this is the moment when God wants me and you to become more cognizant of these things. This is, this is the moment that we are living. And I'm finishing now. As I say, I don't have absolute precision or clarity about what I'm sharing with you right now. I'm just uh, uttering these things. If I would have been a better man, I wouldn't have taken notes, by the way. But I'm uh, sometimes, I, because I, this should have been preached in the spontaneity of prophetic unction. But you know, I have to confess that I, I didn't trust myself to be able to, already there was enough of a risk and I wanted to make sure that I had clarity before you. Uh, I'm trying to make sense of the, the, myself and, I, and now I will go back. I've been asking the Lord, Lord, give me some new scriptures that I can kind of munch on. Um, and, and, and I've read all those scriptures, but now I want to read them in a different context. I have the clear conviction that we are in the middle of one of the most pregnant moments in the entire history of Christianity and even the world. Now, that may sound grandiose to you, but again, el que tiene oídos para oír, oiga, el que tiene ojos para ver, vea. Let them who have eyes see and let them, those who have ear to hear, listen. We are living in the most pregnant moment in all the history of Christianity and even the world. I do want to be obedient to what I feel the Lord is saying. And if, by the way, if I am mistaken, then my words are recorded. And we will be able to confirm one way or another in the future whether I was hearing from the Lord or not. That's the good thing about having our sermons recorded and live streamed. It's there. All these different things that I've been announcing for a while now and over the years. I have the time and I, I declare them just for the angels and the demons the Lord to hear, not necessarily for us or for myself even because the, prof the prophetic word of the Lord has to be declared, that's all that matters it's a key, it's a legal document that in being proclaimed opens up realms of reality so I, I will finish with this I want us to take a moment to pray before we leave and I want us to pray in the spirit of Habakkuk chapter 3 verses 2 I think it's just verse 2 Habakkuk chapter 3 because that's another scripture that has been rooting in my spirit for the longest time during this time of COVID-19 because Habakkuk preaches in a time of imminent destruction as well and the Lord speaks to him Habakkuk chapter 3 let's begin with verse 1 a prayer of Habakkuk the prophet on Shikionoth Lord I have heard of your fame I stand in awe of your deeds, Lord. And here's the, 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 this is what I want you to pay attention to. Repeat them in our day. Your deeds, the ones that we have heard of, the deeds that we have read of in the scriptures, the extraordinary paradigmatic expressions of your spirit. We have heard about them. We have, re we have heard of your deeds. Now, Lord, repeat them in our day. That's what we want. We want a repetition of what the Lord has. The days of Elijah, we talk about and we sing about all these things. We don't even know what we're saying. These are the days of Elijah. Well, the church has to grow out of its 
baby fat now. I'm praying the Lord will accomplish the deeds that we have seen. I don't want facsimiles. I don't want reproductions. I don't want approximations. I don't want fabrications. I'm bold enough to believe that the God who did it once can do it again. And I will not be content with just the milk anymore. Lord, hear our words and have mercy on us. Your church has been humiliated and we have helped in that humiliation. Now take us out of, your, of this humiliation and return the dignity to your church again. We're tired of being seen like clowns by unbelievers. And sometimes we behave like clowns. No more, Father. Repeat them in our day. In our time, make them known. And I want to read the KJV because that's important. The KJV, I told uh, uh, Maria to. Here it is, the KJV, because the, KJ, the King James Version is so much more, I think, attuned to the original. The NIV can be wimpy sometimes. I use it a lot. But uh, it loses some of the meaning in its interest of trying to make it more common. It says, O Lord, I have heard thy speech, and I was afraid. O Lord, revive thy work in the midst of the years. See, that's a much more... The Spanish actually reveals that, that level of content. Revive your work. Revive means bring it back. Manifest it again. Let it be seen again. Awaken your work again. Revive your work in the midst of the years. In the midst of the years, make them known. And in wrath, remember mercy. That is our prayer. That the Lord, would you stand with me a second? The prayer of the people of God this morning is, Lord, revive your work. What is the midst of the years in the 21st century? Now, in history, revive your work. Bring it back into manifestation. Let us witness David cutting off the head of Goliath. Let us witness the fire falling on the altar as Elijah was instrumental in making possible. Let us witness Elisha striking the river and it opening up and going through. Let us witness the, the, the loaves and the fish being multiplied. Let us witness true lepers and true paralytics being truly healed and restored. Let us see true gifts being truly manifested and not mere approximations, which is okay, but it's not what you want, ideally. Father, revive your work in the midst of the years. Revive your work in the midst of the 21st century, the most arrogant expression of humanity that has ever been observable throughout history. Now, this arrogant generation, make your works known, Lord. Revive them in our time. And if you are going to pour your wrath upon an unrepented generation, have mercy and temper your anger with a certain level of compassion and mercy. Have mercy. But if your wrath must be manifested and we must pay the price, have your way. Because it's more important that your will be done than that our will be done. So, Father, we pray this morning, let your will be done. Let your move in the midst of the generations be manifest. And we will give you all the honor and all the glory. We are mere cogs. We are mere instruments in your hands. Thank you for this day, Father. We do not take it lightly. We will give you all the honor and all the glory. Bless your people as they leave and bless those that are at home as well. And let this word not fall to the ground void, Father. In Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name, in Jesus' name. Amen.
Now I will, I will, we will ask you as we leave, and again continue praying about these things. We will ask you. Uh, our ushers are here to show you how to. You will leave in an orderly fashion. Um, you guys are ready to show them, okay? So you will uh, take, um, let them lead you. You're going to leave through these two doors, and uh, so. Yeah, but uh, which side? You you will tell them who's who's who. Okay, through here. And who is beginning? Who's Okay, we're going to do the sides first. So if you, the middle groups from here, you can sit down for a second. And those on the sides, stand. Thank you so much. This is part of the, this reality, this impoverished reality, okay? The idea is to keep six feet of distance. That's what we have promised the authorities, and so that's what we want to do. So, guys, let's get a move on here. You tell them who is going to move where. And, I, I'm, yeah, I'm sorry if I'm sounding a little bit uh, too. Uh, so let's, let's exercise some leadership here. Yeah, no, 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 let's just leave now. That's fine. Let's just start it. We thank the Lord. Lord, let your will be done. We worship you. So let's start leaving now. We already exceeded our time significantly here. And uh, let's, let's begin now. Forgive me if I'm a little bit dumb, but uh, we've been working toward this for a while now. I bless you all. In Jesus' name, I bless you all. So come on, if you can stand. Fanny, and Fanny, también tú sales ahora, ven. And uh, Jean and everybody else over here, this group. Thank you, and on that group there as well. Keep keeping your distance there so that, uh, you know, if you're part of a... Thank you. All right, that's fine. Gene, go ahead. Go ahead. There's, there's enough space now. There's enough distance. Six feet of distance that you're supposed to keep. Yes, por ahora. Vuelve a entrar ahorita entonces. Thank you. I bless you all. This is part of this whole thing. We're learning, okay? We're learning just as you are learning. And I thank the Lord.